Scripture reading this morning is from Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. In my college years, I was part of a charismatic uh, church, and so we would spend lots of time together as youth and young adult group. Uh, and is in that setting where my relationship with God became alive in a very personal and experiential way. On Friday nights, our Friday nights would usually consist of like hours of rocking it out and worship, musical worship, and prayer. And uh, after that, we'd go out together, and it'd be a groups of us scattering throughout the city, driving our parents' cars, or, and, and uh, finding like 24-hour dives because that's where you know, everyone could afford something. We'd find any reason to celebrate birthdays, and we'd be crisscrossing the city looking for our favorite bubble tea. I consider those, you know, those moments, I don't, if you don't know what that is, then you're missing out in life. So <laughs> ask me, and I will tell you where you can find some. We, would, uh, we, would, we forged many good friendships during our time there together. And I considered uh, my friends, my family, and this was it. This was my community. But whenever new people came, we would often welcome them. And occasionally we would hear some co- comments that, hey, this is really wonderful, but it seems a little bit cliquey. We were immersed in deep friendship with one another but making an impact outside of our church relationships seemed to be a challenge for our group. We seemed to like what the Bible said about deepening our relationship with God and with one another, but a little less so on joining God in his mission here on earth. In this God Story, Our Story sermon series that we've been walking through since this fall, we've heard how God chooses a community of people. First, it begins with Adam and Eve, then moves on to Abraham and his family, then the people of Israel. He chooses these communities to reveal who he is and what he's doing in the world and what it looks like to true, live a truly human life in relationship with God and with others. Today we're going to look at what this new community centered on the person of Jesus looks like based on the reading that we just heard from Acts chapter 2. Now, Full acknowledgement, for those of you who have been following the series very carefully, we kind of jumped from the crucifixion last week straight to the, this beginning of the new church. You were wondering what happened to the resurrection, what happened to Pentecost. Well, there's only so much we can fit in the series, so we'll get to that in Easter. You know, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and it's meant to be read together with his gospel, the gospel of Luke. And Luke is a doctor, and he outlines the beginning of the gospel how he carefully investigated all the accounts and he recorded them down 
so that his readers would know for certainty of the things that were taught. And it's interesting in his meticulous recording what kind of details he leaves for us to read about this early new community centered on Jesus. After the resurrection and Pentecost, we begin to see three characteristics of this new community. Jesus' followers become a community of impetus, of immersion, and of impact. And so we're going to look at those three movements today in this message. The kind of community that Luke describes in Acts seems pretty compelling, at least to me. We're told that this group of Jesus followers meets every day to, to study the apostles' teaching, to pray together, to sh- break bread together. And needs are met through the sacrificial living of this particular community. God shows up in miraculous ways as well. You know, I'd be happy to just have one of those happen to me each day, let alone all of them happening every day. But how did they actually get there? What was the impetus behind their community? Now, we didn't read the whole chapter for time's sake, but it might be helpful to know first, who is the they that we're talking about? Who's the they that were devoted to meeting together regularly and sharing in life together? If you trace it backwards in your, in your, in your scripture, if you have it open, uh, you go back to the immediate verse before it. In verse 41, it says, those who accepted her message, his message, was, were baptized. So that's the they. And then if we go back a little bit further to verse 22, Peter is addressing the, the Israelites who are hearing this message. And he goes back further to verse 14, and it says that Peter is addressing fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. And if you go back even further, there's another group. It's a wider group, verses 8 to 11. We're told the crowd consists of Jews and converts to Judaism and visitors to Rome or from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And they hear all these things, this message of Jesus in their language. Many of them were Jews, but some were not. This new community was incredibly diverse ethnically, linguistically, spiritually, and demographically. Yet what starts out at the beginning of the chapter is all these different groups of people funnels down to this new community that's committed to one another. Something significantly changes in their orientation and their understanding of who they are. Where in our contemporary society do we see such deep movements and shifts in alliances? Perhaps under coercion from authoritarian rulers, you might see that tremendous shift, but those shifts only last as long as the threat is in place. But clearly, this isn't what's happening here. We get a sense of joy and and willing participation in this new community. We find out it's an encounter with Jesus that results in this change of communal identity. Many of the early church were indeed Jews. They had an existing community that they belonged to with existing routines and gatherings, but now they had met Jesus and the power of his spirit, and their lives changed. Their priorities changed because of this belief in Jesus. And this new community that welcomed them, and they welcomed those who would otherwise not be considered part of their community because of their language or because of their religion or because of their cultural background, but because of Jesus and the good news of who he is, it brought in a new kind of liberating community. What does this mean? 
This means that your cultural heritage, though important to retain, isn't the defining community for you in light of Christ. This means that your political identification, Republican or Democrat, patriot or progressive, left, left or right, <laughs> isn't meant to be the primary community that you are to be identified with in light of Jesus. Jesus realigns our primary community around himself. And we begin to experience and live our new identities in community with others. And this bristles against our highly individualistic Western culture and highly independent American culture. We have a record number of people who record themselves as, I'm spiritual, but not religious. You know, that's just one way of saying, I like God, but, or whatever concept of God you might have, but I don't like this organized religion stuff. Let me figure it out on my own. So when we read what Luke records for us as all believers gathered together, they sold everything and gave to those in need and had everything in common. And they continued to meet in temple courts. Our spidey senses go off, right? And we immediately begin thinking, whoa, this sounds like communism. I'm going to have to give up my individuality for the collective and follow this guy? Certainly. Some have tried to argue for this kind of societal organization based on these verses. But we should hold our acutely modern individualism suspect, individualism suspect, and how it creeps into reading this ancient text. For instance, when we hear Paul's command to the Philippian church, it seems impossible to reach when we hear these commands from an individualistic perspective. When he says to the Philippian church, he goes, rejoice, 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 rejoice. Again, you, you rejoice. We hear that as an individual challenge. In Hebrews 13, the writer instructs his readers, keep on being brothers and sisters. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. You better do it. You better love. Are you loving your brothers and sisters? Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. In the English language, we don't distinguish clearly between the singular you and the plural you. So we should read those, y'all rejoice now. Y'all, y'all keep loving one another. So when Paul commands the church to be joyful, it's a command in the plural to be a joyful community together. It's not a command for each individual here to be joy-filled every single moment of every single day because we all know that's not what life is always like. There are times when grief and sadness that we, we experience as individuals or as communities. But the point of all these instructions is for joy and for generosity and for life together and for mutual care. The, the command for these is that we would ex exhibit these as a community. That we would be known, that Jesus' followers would be known as a community for their distinctive way of living as a community grounded in God's word and in prayerfulness. So it frees us that we don't have to be joy, joy, joy all the time, even though we, we can, we, that's certainly possible. But it's together as a community that when I'm down, I'm part of a community that sees hope 
and that we can rejoice together. That when I'm in need, I don't have to always figure it out myself, but I'm part of a community that can support. So that people would begin to see the early church and to see Jesus followers now and say, oh, you're, you're with that group of Jesus followers that live so differently? Rather than to say, oh, you're a really good Christian. The impetus behind this new community is Jesus, who realigns their identity and sense of purpose and sense of identity together. Because of their encounter with Jesus that so deeply shifted their identities, the early church immersed themselves in this new community. They were immersed in Jesus' teaching, in prayer, and in breaking of bread. They experienced their spirituality in a communal way and the richness of it in relationship with others. Now, we all know this town is pretty trans- can be very transient. Many people come to D.C. knowing that they're going to leave, kind of like these tourists. It's easy to not immerse yourself in life here. It's easy to not make a commitment to community because you have ties elsewhere. But followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus also understand that God is sovereign over our lives. We, didn't end, we believe that we didn't just end up here right now today in this town because our skills and talents or our relatives happened to be here and that matched up with resources or opportunities for us. We believe that God is writing the history of the world through people like you and me and everyone in this room because we have an opportunity to be changed by Jesus. Not just as individuals, but as a community. And he invites us to live out this new community as a community that forms our identity through the teachings of Jesus. Through prayer and through sharing our lives together. That's why we at WCF want to provide environments where we can immerse ourselves in community. Now, we don't, we can't, we don't say that we've got it all locked down for what that looks like here in D.C., but we're trying to figure it out, and we're figuring that out together. Figuring out that together beyond these large gatherings here on Sunday where we can know and be known. On the second Sunday of every month, you'll see this eclectic collection of dishes from fried rice to casseroles in, on these tables in the next room. You'll see donuts and ice cream and pie next to one another, often on your own plate. <laughs> At least on my plate. And no one bats an eye that the food doesn't match your, your trendy, foodie sensibilities. Or if you're a foodie Instagrammer, it's probably not going to go viral on your Instagram feed. But what we are doing is we're digging in together, trying each other's cooking, catching up on the latest sports news, hearing about the latest holiday plans, or maybe we'll even hear about the least, latest painful moment of the week. You know those moments as parents where you, you know you love your children, but you really don't like them? <laughs> we laugh over these memories that are forged over cuisine that's served on paper plates and plastic cutlery serenaded by kids banging on the drums and the piano in the sanctuary. That's us. That's the real us. Trying to figure out how to be Jesus community, a Jesus community here in D.C., amidst the different flavors, amidst the different backgrounds. 
It's not perfect, but it's good. You know, small groups are another way that we get to know one another and be known in regular community. Not just when it's convenient for you. It's this commitment that you're making. It's like, okay, I'm going to gather together with this group. And each week, Julie and I are plugging into a small group in our neighborhood where we're discussing this book on how to walk out our faith in, in pain when there's pain and suffering in our lives. We're sharing our joys and our burdens, and we're praying for one another. And we have baby Audrey, you know, playing with her toy kitchen in the side, and I'm running in and out of the door to pick up my kids from their activities. And it's not perfect, and by no means I'm not adding to that because I'm going in and out of the door, and I'm not always reading everything each week. But, we're, but it's good. We're learning to immerse ourselves in community, and we're dancing this awkward dance of vulnerability and authenticity with one another, with people who are very different from one another. But it's so rewarding. It's in settings like these that people begin to know you really as you are, not just as you present yourself to them, either online or in a nice you know, church Sunday. It's in settings like these that we really get to know one another and what makes us tick and what makes, gets us ticked off. If you're interested in connecting with a small group, just fill out one of those cards that uh, Crystal held up earlier in the pew and one of our ushers, or we'll, we'll follow that up as soon as we can. You know, we don't have it all figured out here at WCF, but we want to follow the example of this early church in the way that we immerse ourselves in community because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And it's immersed in community that we begin to experience a deeper understanding of who God is. And this leads us to this final characteristic of this new Jesus community. Luke describes this early church as a community of impact. They didn't just exist for themselves. In fact, the early church became this world-changing movement almost overnight. They went from a bunch of fearful disciples hiding behind closed doors to this global revolution that has brought hope and change to almost every corner of the world today. In verse 43 and verse 45, we're told how they were filled with awe at many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. And all the believers were common, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. These verses describe how followers of Jesus were meeting needs radically in the world around them. They sold their possessions. They gave sacrificially. They welcomed people from all different backgrounds into their community. Their impact reached beyond their people groups that they would normally identify with naturally. And when they prayed, things happened. Miracles took place. Now, in our highly educated, rational, scientific society, signs and wonders here seems a bit anachronistic. What exactly does that look like today in our world? Whether it's blind eyes seeing or lame men, lame people walking or even dead people rising, Whether we see those things happen in our lifetime or not, the point is that something has happened in the lives of Jesus' followers that caused people to say, what I see, this isn't normal. This isn't what life normally looks like. You don't see people's lives change like this. Those are signs and wonders. Our family stepped in to foster two boys after a family tragedy took away their parents uh, about five, six years ago. We saw a need and quickly stepped into the situation, not knowing how everything would be worked out. 
The church community around us rallied in support. They came by with meals and babysitting and running errands. We were experiencing a lot of stress in that time of need, but we were also experiencing deep community. You know, after a month or two, you know, our family had grown from four to six with two toddlers added to that, and we were just surviving. And we were wondering, how are we going to cover all these expenses? And they were, we were told by social services that something would be coming, but nothing hadn't come after a month or two. But we were too busy just trying to stay afloat that we didn't chase that down. So one day, Julia and I were driving Ashley to her piano lesson, and Julia's just humming this old Pentecostal tune. Like It goes like, well, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. And so we're sitting there, and she's like, this is weird. Why am I singing this song? Like, do I even believe the words of the song? Like, what did the enemy steal? And who's supposed to take back that stuff? Is it me or is it Jesus? So all this is processing. All of a sudden, the phone rings. And then uh, I just pass the phone to, to Julia, and she puts it on a speakerphone, and it goes, hi, this is Constable so-and-so from the Vancouver Police Department. If you don't know, we're from Vancouver, Canada. And so... Uh, and then he's, he explained that they were ex- investigating a, a house that had been abandoned and there were a bunch of squatters in there. And he said, were you expecting some mail from the Ministry of Child and Family Development, which is the social services agency there? And we said, yeah, why? And he goes, well, we were ex- investigating this house and we found this letter that was made out to you and we believe that one of the squatters probably stole this from your uh, mailbox and was going to cash it for themselves. And we're like, whoa, this is really weird. But here, you know, we, we saw that, man, that's a sign and wonder. Because you know what? Like, the check would have been canceled. They would just reissue it. We made some phone calls. But here was God who, who said, I'm going to show you how faithful I am. I'm going to show you how I'm going to take care of, of, of you faithfully. I'm going to do this in this most roundabout way that you could never plan for yourself. So that people who have been praying together with you would be able to say, oh, only God could do something like that. That's the kind of community that as we step out and join together and we begin impacting other people's lives, we begin to recognize the depths of God's faithfulness. When we become followers of Christ, we have the opportunity to become a community of impact. We follow a king with a new kingdom. And God's call is for us to show the world what an alternative reality looks like. It's this future world that's breaking into the present through the people of God. I got to spend some time with the founding pastors of WCF, Myron and Esther Augsburger, this week. They reminded me of WCF's legacy in this city. That as God called WCF into existence here on the hill, that we weren't just called to gather within these walls. WCFers have always seen a need in the city and, and, and stepped out and saying, our faith compels us. Our faith in Jesus compels us to do something. So a learning center has been birthed out of this uh, place, out of people here to meet disadvantaged youth. A pregnancy center, which still exists a block away, was started by people here. People created art and beauty to color our neighborhood because it needed coloring. I'm asking you to join me in praying for our next season of impact as a faith community here on the Hill. What are the needs in this world, in our community, that 
in our neighborhoods that cause us to say, things shouldn't be this way. Jesus, your kingdom looks much different from this, and we want to be part of revealing that to the world. My prayer is that WCF would continue to be this community immersed in this wider community to show the world what it looks like to live with a different set of glasses on in light of Jesus and his kingdom. And together, our neighbors and our friends, our co-workers would see a recognizable impact that our faith has on the hill and beyond. What would it look like if Jesus' followers were known in the metro D.C. region for these kinds of characteristics that we've talked about today? I heard N.T. Wright at this conference that I went to uh, this week. He's an Anglican theologian and pastor. And he reminded us of what a church that impacts the world looks like. He said, if only the church does two things. If only the church is known for being a church that believes in the resurrection and two, that cares for the vulnerable, that would be a church that makes a difference in the world. So to recap, the community of Acts is a community of impetus, a community of immersion, and a community of impact. You know, following Jesus isn't just a private, individual matter. It's much of it that is, but it's not just that. It's a faith that's birthed and lived out in community. People in the early church saw something in Jesus that upended their idea of what community they belonged to and where they derived their identity from. The message of God's forgiveness and finding their true identity spurred them on in this new community. They reprioritized the way they spent their week. They reprioritized how they used their possessions. They reprioritized their relationships. And this began a movement that touches even us today, reaching beyond existing cultural and linguistic and social groups to live out a new community in a new kingdom where Jesus is the leader of our lives. Maybe for you, as you're hearing this today, you're wondering, what are these implications? Maybe it's to jump into a community beyond this large gathering here today. Maybe it's taking a stretch in how you live with generosity in your lives. Maybe it's beginning to give of your resources, give of your time for Jesus' name. You know, it's in the you know in our world that we live in today, we're becoming more and more polarized when different groups come together. But I want, I hope that in the church, in this faith community, that we can be leaders of what it looks like when people who are very different from one another talk things out, who have different values, but have come to know Jesus and to have this dialogue and understanding that brings hope to the world around us. As we do so, I believe that as we follow Jesus, I believe that we will be this light and hope to the world around us. Let's pray. Jesus, we see the words here of what happens when a community is changed by you. We want to experience that for ourselves, God, not by our own strength, but because of your love for us and your love for this city. And so we ask, God, will you show us how you're breaking into our lives, 
how you're breaking into this world that we live in, and how to live together as a community of generosity, of authenticity, and of impact in the world around us. For your namesake and by your namesake, we ask these things. Amen.